This is the Becoming Educated podcast. Our mission is to inform educators, challenge their thinking, and inspire them to teach with joy. Joining me on the podcast today is Jack Tavasily Marsh. Jack is a geography teacher. He was head of geography for four years prior to taking up the role of assistant head teacher with the primary responsibility for ITT and NQT to NQT, NQT plus three teacher development. Jack now leads teaching and learning across the school and the school's aim is to become research informed in all that they do as teachers in the classroom. Jack is also an evidence lead in education with Durrington Research School. He's also the organiser of Research Ed Surrey, which was only a few weeks ago and is all available online. I'd highly recommend viewing some of those videos. Jack's main aim is to ensure that all classrooms are truly inclusive and that teachers understand how they can be more effective than they already are, whilst always improving his own teaching too. Jack, Jack thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely delighted to join you, Darren. Looking forward to it. Certainly, as am I. So just to, to ease us into the interview, as always, could you just share a little bit about you and your career up to this point, please? Yeah, so I started off um, taking a geography degree at the University of Exeter back in 2003 um, and left, obviously, there in 2006. Didn't go straight into teaching at all, actually. Went into uh, becoming a ski instructor, of all, of all things. Um, that lasted uh, for a year. And then decided to uh, work up in London and went into underwriting reinsurance, focusing on political risk and terrorism insurance, which was certainly interesting, but it, it, it wasn't floating my boat, really. And, and I was harping back to the time as a ski instructor and having that one-to-one teaching element and small group teaching element. So I started uh, my PGCE at the University of Portsmouth in geography in 2008. Um, and actually did two very, very different training schools. So one of them was a school called Broome Park in Gosport, uh, and the other one was an independent school, actually, Portsmouth Grammar School uh, in Portsmouth. I then joined Farnham Heathland School in June 2009 as an NQT, and I've been there ever since, actually, um, taking on the roles of uh, Key Stage 3 Lead for Geography, Head of Geography, as you mentioned, Assistant Head Teacher, uh, and currently Vice Principal. At SLT level, I've, I've mostly had the responsibility around staff development and professional growth, as well as teaching and learning across the school. And I've been involved with uh, Matt-wide uh, introduction of, of teaching and learning policy, which is evidence-informed. Um, and you mentioned a lot about the work with uh, ITT um, and uh, NQT to plus three teacher development. I've been working in that area for probably the last five years or so. And actually been doing sort of stuff that's very similar to what what the early careers framework, um, which is going to be coming in, um, is pretty much been doing and putting it together a curriculum for for new teachers to the profession. So that's pretty much uh, you know where I've been uh, in my career today. Such a such a lovely lovely variation of career to ski instructor to underwriting and then into school. And it's great that you've came so far in the school. That you, that you currently work at and it's delightful to see that you've had that journey from teacher right up through to, to vice principal. So we're going to talk a little bit today about instructional coaching. You delivered a wonderful presentation at Research Edge Surrey on, on how you do this at school and we're going to unpick some of that um, on the podcast today but before we start why, why instructional coaching and, and why do you use that at your school? It's a big question. Um, I think it's something that we've come across perhaps slightly later on than we would have liked to have come across it, if that makes sense. It's one of those things that once you've started doing it, you you think, why haven't we always done it this way? Um, I think, you know, as, as leaders within schools, we're always looking for what's going to have the, the largest impact upon teacher effectiveness in the classroom. Uh, and that becomes a necessity when you're uh, looking to develop staff from within a school rather than always recruiting from outside of the school to, to improve. I think if you're going to really improve a school over the long term, the sustainable approach is to develop the, the staff that you've actually got within the school um, and then add with, with fantastic recruitment as and when that, uh, that happens. And I think when we looked at a lot of the work that the Teacher Development Trust and the Centre for the Use of Research and Evidence in Education 
uh, around C, you know, CPD, they, they basically state that you know, CPD needs to be sustained, it needs to be targeted, it needs to be timely, collaborative, evidence-based, um, and evaluative. Um, and the one-to-one -one approach of instructional coaching fits all of those aspects, apart from perhaps the collaborative strand, although there is still a collaboration between the, the coach uh, and the teacher. And the, you know, the Centre for the Use of Research and Evidence in Education state that less than 1% of school-based inset has, has impact in the classroom in the way that you'd want it to. And I think that's quite a shocking statistic, really. Um, and I think that's due to, to, to largely several factors at play. I think quite often, if we think about when inset is normally delivered, it tends to be at the end of the day, perhaps in twilight sessions or whole school inset days for a... Uh, for, for other schools and I think you need to think about what each member of staff is coming to those sessions having had you know, having gone through have they been a five period day is it six period day have they just done three or four other inset sessions on other things and you're the last one uh, in the day I think the other thing is around who's delivering the session and the bias that somebody comes to a session with um, will that benefit them? It's normally the question they're thinking in their heads. They might not say it out loud, but that's normally the thing that they're going to, to be thinking. And often, even if a session on an inset day is really effectively done, will the benefits from that session actually be enacted or implemented in the same way that, that was intended in the session? Uh, because quite often there is a lack of practice uh, and modelling that goes on in inset sessions. So what that really does is it creates a gap between teachers perhaps knowing something, knowing more about something, and actually being able to do that to the level that's required of them in the classroom to be as effective as, as they possibly can be. So I, we, you know, we call that sort of a knowing it, doing it um, gap. Um, and I think lastly, obviously, you've got the workload and stress that, that's going on in all schools. And actually, you know, the current inset that you see quite regularly probably doesn't, doesn't support um, workload in the way that perhaps it could do. So if you put all of those factors into the equation, it, you can kind of see why um, some inset in, in previous sort of methods doesn't have the impact that you want it to have. And that led us down the route of instructional coaching and, and, and obviously, you know, we're quite evidence informed in, in what we do at the school. And there was a fantastic piece of research um, from Hobbes, Sims and, and Rebecca Allen, Becky Allen, um, around habit formation limits growth in teacher effectiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a review of converging evidence from neuroscience and social science. So the paper looks at the evidence for teachers rate of growth slowing because their practice becomes habitual. And collectively, the evidence in the paper implies that CPD should actually incorporate repeated practice in realistic settings in order to overwrite and upgrade existing habits that teachers form. Um, and it discusses how teachers often make incredibly rapid progress towards being more and more effective in their early years of their career, but then there becomes a plateau. And this is due to the habits that they've formed, which then become really difficult to, to change. And if we think about what support you have in place uh, at the beginning of your career from your, um, whether you're going through school-centered initial teacher training or a PGCE or you know, school direct or whatever that may be, the route that you that have come into the profession, it's likely that you will have had a subject mentor, a professional mentor, an NQT mentor, uh, and and then school depending, after your NQT year, quite often you're left to fend for yourself a little bit, whilst at the same time probably teaching the highest amount of uh, the timetable that you've taught so far. Um, and I don't think that's conducive to improving effectiveness of, of classroom practice, in all honesty. And I think that there's probably a strong correlation between the removal of support um, and the number of teachers leaving the profession before their fifth year. Um, so, you know, interestingly, instructional coaching has been, it's been shown in, in replicated randomized control trials. And there have been several trials that have taken place and meta-analysis of um, causal studies. Uh, those, are, those have sort of like taken place recently, sort of as recent as 2011. And then there's the Kraft et al. 2016 research that talk about to bring about changes in teaching practice um, and improvements in pupil test scores actually that was positively evidenced with instructional coaching um, and therefore the literature sort of provides further evidence that habits limit teacher effectiveness unless they are replaced or overwritten with new habits 
and that led us towards instructional coaching as one of our strands to improve classroom effectiveness. Mm, certainly, and we'll discuss how it's how it's one part of your offering a little bit later on. And I think that's a, a very damning statistic you shared at the beginning of that about less than one percent of our school-based inset being effective. And it was interesting how you brought in the recent recent report on, on habit formation and this idea of of practice and modelling. We're going to unpick some of that a bit later on. So, can can you share with us, Jack, what is instructional coaching, and how does it look in your school setting? Right, so uh, it's a one-to-one approach to teacher development. Uh, it probably should be called instructional mental coaching, um, to be honest with you. The word coaching kind of suggests that it, it fits into a, a coaching model, um, and, and it doesn't really. There isn't the openness of questions that quite often coaching models um, form. Um, and there is a large mix of mentoring, so advice being given and taken on board, along with coaching through the questioning within the feedback conversations that you have with, but you know, between the, the instructional coach and the teacher. Mm-hmm. The aim of instructional coaching is for an expert teacher who really understands what makes great teaching and has great efficiency within the classroom and with a history of strong student outcomes to coach or mentor a, another colleague. And they do that for a sustained period of time. And and, and for ourselves, it's an academic year. Um, And there has to be an explicit understanding of what great teaching looks like. Uh, And we've done extensive work on training the coaches on the evidence that has been put forward in what makes great teaching by the Sutton Trust uh, and the great teaching toolkit, the evidence review by the evidence-based education by Robert Cohen and all. Um, And basically, if you've got instructional coaches that have a really solid understanding of effective teaching habits and what makes great teaching, they are then working on a one-to-one basis with um, teachers. And each instructional coach within our school has got between two and six uh, teachers that they're coaching. We've got roughly 12 instructional coaches across the school. Some members of the LT have got slightly more. So, for example, I actually coach 13 members of staff. Um, and there's a reason why um, some members of staff have obviously got more people that they're coaching. A lot of it comes down to, to timetabling. So the way that it works is that um, on a weekly um, cycle, they each teacher will have a 15 to 20 minute lesson visit. And that lesson visit, they choose the lesson that the coach comes into. Um, and the coach is focusing essentially on an action step that the teacher is working on. But if we go back to like the first initial lesson visit that a coach would do, they are looking to focus on an aspect of classroom practice that can be changed or altered that will have the highest leverage or impact upon student learning. And in in the feedback session, it is the skill of the coach to question the teacher to get them to the point where they actually uh, refer to that area. And then the coach breaks that that habitual change down into small action steps. And an action step is a bite-sized change that can actually be implemented literally the next lesson or the the next day. Um, And the idea is, is that the coach works with the teacher to hit action steps weekly over a sustained period of time to really improve practice um, you know, it, within the classroom. But obviously some teachers don't meet action steps each week and you can carry over action steps and, and it's a non-judgmental um, approach. There are, there are no judgments on, on the quality um, or, of teaching that's going on. There's no hidden judgment at all. It's, it's one-to-one approach where the, the teacher is just working with the coach to, to become more effective, not because they're not good enough, this is the old Dylan William quote, but actually because you know they could be even more effective. And I think that's really important. That's something that, that, that we've worked quite hard on in getting staff buy-in um, to the process. And then the big thing with instructional coaching is that once the action step has been set and agreed on, there is a period within the feedback conversation of practice. So actually practice takes place in the feedback conversation. And, you know, this is quite an interesting thing. Certainly when we were doing the training at the start, people were saying, oh, my God, this is going to be a nightmare. You know, I'm asking a teacher to practice it in front of me. Um, And this is where the skill of a coach comes in, because you've got to have strong interpersonal skills to to work with somebody and get them comfortable 
to practice in front of you, but also in a realistic setting. So we tend to do it in a classroom, obviously, that, that, that's, um, that, that's free. And you practice working on that small action step until the teacher is, is confident, but also the coach is happy. And I make no apologies to, to the teachers that actually sometimes a coach may ask you to, to repeat something sort of 15, 20 times. And the idea is by doing that and by repeatedly practicing something, it's more likely to become a habitual and you're likely to be able to do it without really thinking about it um, in, the, in the following lesson and then uh, or the week. And then essentially what happens is the coach that you then agree in the, in the session, the next lesson, and the coach then goes back in looking for that specific action step if the action step's been met fantastic they look for another action step if it's not been met they will look at what parts of the action step have been met uh, and so on um, and that's pretty much how instructional coaching works so could we dig a little bit deeper into this idea of action step so first off my, my question is 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 it entirely in the role of the expert teacher to decide the action step and could you then go on to give examples of what the action steps actually look like in your setting or maybe a, a recent example from some coaching that you've done recently? Yes, so I think it, it often depends upon the experience and the expertise of the teacher being coached as to um, whether the action step will be something that the teacher is able to reflect upon and get to within the conversation. And I would say that if, if the coach is very skillful in their questioning, what you tend to find is an experienced teacher will actually get to the action step themselves and the instructional coach is then able to go, funny enough, that was the bit that I noticed uh, is the area where we're going to, to work on becoming more efficient with or more effective with. Sometimes with teachers that are pretty new to the professions at NQTs, NQTs plus one, perhaps sometimes there's a necessity to sort of almost give the advice and say, this is the action step that we're going to be working on because um so that's probably the the the, the variation there but uh, i would say the majority of the time it's the, it's the questioning from the coach that actually gets to the action step quite quite easily in terms of you know what an action step looks like i think if we look back at sort of the horrendous feedback that has come back from you know when you've been observed in the past and i think about the terrible sort of times where and i mean i've been involved with this you know grading teachers and you're just the, the furore of it all and the stress and you know I you know, want to apologize to anyone that I've ever graded I, I do really apologize it was terrible um, but you think about the feedback that quite often you would get so you know you might get you know a reasonable bit of feedback that says you know you need to work on your questioning to improve the amount of students that are engaging within the lesson which is which is great but if I read that feedback I'd have probably said well if I knew how to do that I would have probably done it um you know that, that that's what most teachers will say to feedback of, the, of that ilk or you might get slightly better feedback perhaps that says a, suggests a strategy to do that um you know a strategy to use to in, in, improve the engagement but an action step actually pro provides a specific action that is observable in the next lesson that actually the coach can see in action so for example if we if we take the questioning analogy and we're talking about you know improving the amount of students that are engaging with your questioning an example of an action step that that was set recently for for one of the uh, teachers that i'm coaching was um you know the action step was actually worded to allow all students to participate in answering a question ensure that you pause for 20 seconds and insist on all students writing down an answer and that was the action step you know a really small part of questioning as a strategy but this idea of trying to build participation ratio so that the teacher was then going to go into a think pair share exercise but actually all students had, had 20 seconds to write something down and therefore they were more likely to then be involved with the the pair part of the the activity but you can see that you know by by looking at action steps that small, there can be 20 to 25 action steps within you know, just a questioning strategy, for example. And that's why there is this sustained approach to weekly going in and seeing these really small changes. 
Um, and obviously, if a teacher goes through and starts to, to ace and smash these 20, 25 action steps in a row, what you see once all of them are working together is somebody that habitually is questioning it in a far better way. And they're not actually having to think massively about what they're doing. It's just through small practice and then incre incremental gains over time. So that's pretty much how the action steps work. Incredible how, how precise the action steps are, because as you say, you could really build up and I suppose that's how you change the habit of a teacher because you're just nudging it week by week to then get into this wonderful questioning, questioning strategy where the, all the children are participating and everyone's thinking hard. It must be wonderful to see when they, they get to that and you're really building expertise in terms of their teaching practice. So you mentioned earlier about the practice opportunities and I like to unpick those a little bit so how, how does the expert teacher design the practice opportunities and how do they facilitate them could you give a give play out a scenario for us in, in the classroom right so i mean what we've done as a as a school actually is we've used um a, a website called powerful action steps uh, which was put together by josh goodrich uh, who works at the oasis academy chain at, uh, down in london mm -hmm. and you know, the action step model very much comes through the work of Paul Bambricks and Toyo with the Get Better Faster um, work that he did and the Leverage Leadership book that he's got going. Um, and Josh has put together this powerful action steps website and a kind of a sequence of action steps which you can go through in, in order. Um, if you're a novice teacher, what we've actually done, we, we've obviously signed the school up, but then we've actually edited all of the action steps that are, are on there to suit the ethos and culture of our school and the language that, that, that we have within our school. So every action step that's actually on this website that we've obviously edited has a practice task that's, that's assigned to it. So any of the coaches that are setting any of these action steps also then have a specific practice task which is assigned to the action step so that we know that there's also a consistency in each coach working with different teachers that if they're working on the same action step they're still having the same level of of practice task um i mean probably a really good one is around um we have a method at uh, at farnham heath end which is a teach like a champion um, strategy called star star behavior which is sort of our method for getting whole class attention um so every every teacher asks for star behavior um and the idea of this is so that 60 teach uh, so 60 teachers have one method rather than um each student having to learn the, the different methods of 60 teachers mm. so this this idea of you know building building routine but you know mastering actually how you ask for star behavior in a really positive and warm way um has probably about 15 to 20 action steps assigned to it because when we first launched it people sort of thought that they had to say star behavior um and you know you'd go around the classroom and you'd see students obviously in star behaviors but it wasn't being done warmly um we then saw you know a, a teachers actually talking a lot through the countdown um for star behaviors which then sort of elongated the time that's that that, that teachers were asking for this strategy so uh, you know a really good practice task that we've got uh, around star behaviors is a really punchy um countdown with clear and concise language of what you want uh, the students to do so the actions from the students need to be observable so we have for example um, teachers will say um, right i'm looking for star behavior in three nice clear hands two sitting up straight and one eyes on me um, and they'll say it in a much punchier and far more enthusiastic man manner that I did then. Um, but I wanted to sort of make sure that the, the language there was, was, was spot on. But as you can imagine, if you're working with 60 members of staff to try and get a nice punchy countdown like that with, with similar language, but we don't say that every member of staff has to use the same language. They need to use things that work for them. And the big thing with, with action steps is, you know, you might set the same action step for a member of two members of staff, but they'll make the action step their own because it's very much how they teach. Uh, and that's really important. So, you know, you may ask the teacher to say, right, I want you to I want you to do the countdown. So you're going to stand up and I'll just play play the role of a student. 
um, and you'll go through it three or four times and you might say actually do you know what I, I just didn't get the enthusiasm towards the the countdown I know that what's coming afterwards your geography that you're about to teach you're going to be incredibly enthusiastic about it but I need you to be as enthusiastic about the countdown which kind of says to the students you know come on this is the, what's coming is, is, is amazing so you know we might have to practice two three four times is it punchy enough is it too elongated is the language concise what about the position that the member of staff is standing in? Do they have a specific place that they go to stand in the classroom to say it? Is their voice and tone of voice warm? Is it loud enough? Are they showing presence? So you can see really that even within star behavior, there are probably 20 action steps. And those practice tasks will be small. So for example, one of the action steps with star is just around clear observable actions. So you have, the teacher has asked for clear observable actions. You might then go in the following week, you see them asking for clear observable actions, but they probably could have done it in a warmer way. So the action step the following week is, right, we need to work on warmth and, and positivity and actually enthusiasm. Um, so that's really how, how the practice works. And again, I'll, you know, I'll make the point that I say to the, the coaches when we do the training that you know, don't apologize for the amount of times that you're going to practice because once you practice once in front of each other it becomes quite normal um, and actually so many of the coaching uh, relationships that we have they, they find it quite fun you know they, they laugh about it and you'll get teachers that get halfway through it and go stop it right start again you know and, and you know, they'll say oh I, I you know I was waffling I was doing this I was saying too much about um, you know clear hands I was saying everything out of your hands please in in three and you've still got something in your hands and like, why are you saying that and they'll stop themselves you know so the the element of practice come becomes quite fun um, yeah. and then obviously with other action steps it might actually be scripting so it might be you know thinking about how you're going to deal with a student that doesn't follow star behavior you know what are your go-to lines that you're going to use how are you going to challenge anonymously and instead of the old feedback that would be like you need to challenge anonymously actually the practice task would be let's script a sentence and now i'm going to play the role of a student who isn't actually concentrating and you're going to have to challenge me um, and it just means that actually if these situations arise within the classroom they've got the toolkit to to um you know to be able to to attack those so that's really how the practice element works um but it's fun i must admit i mean i've you know been doing it for a short period of time and I must admit I think in every practice session that I've done there's been some form of of laughter at some point. But certainly imagine and I suppose that going into such detail and practicing in front of a, of a supportive colleague and repeating that practice repeating that practice it, it makes it easier when you're in front of the children and you can and you can do that and you've, you can provide that warmth but also have that if you're talking about behavior still have that that kind of stern approach, but with a with a warm background as well. If you're practicing it, it becomes a lot easier because far too often you 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 enter the enter the classroom, misbehavior happens, and you don't quite know what to do, what to say at the right time. And sometimes you say something like, "I could have done that better." So the practice makes that all the well. So throughout this this process of of the expert teacher working with the teacher, I imagine that feedback is is incredibly important. So how important is feedback, and and what should that feedback focus on? Should it all focus on entirely the, the action step that was set for that lesson. Yeah, so it does. It it, it purely focuses on, on, on the action step. That's what the instructional coaching um, method is for. I mean, obviously, if there are other sort of wider issues, then then obviously within the coaching team, we would we would be sort of talking about you know what we can do to to support a member of staff further. But most of the time, it, it's just working on that that small action step and actually seeing the end goal, which might be three months away, but you're going to chip away slowly at, at, at different aspects of of somebody's you know questioning, for example, or the way that they manage um, you know whole class attention. It's not going to take three weeks to get a, a teacher from being reasonably you know, ineffective within an area or not as effective as they perhaps could be to being absolutely mastering that, 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 
that effective teaching habit. So, you know, that can take time. And, and one of the things that we have to say with the coaches is, you know, it, it's sustained and it's long term and you'll see the benefits over a long period of time. Even if somebody doesn't actually hit an action step for two, three weeks, if you're seeing progress towards meeting that action step, that's fantastic. Um, so, you know, the feedback is hugely important. It has to be done in a timely manner. Uh, ideally as soon after the lesson visit as possible so it's fresh in in the minds of both um, and we obviously the powerful action steps website also has the ability to to record all of the information from the lesson uh, as well and that feedback really focuses on facts so for example it might be I noticed that there were four students uh, that weren't paying full attention during your instruction, what are the impacts on students learning because of this? Um, so it's very, very, very factual based in terms of the feedback. And the question is then for, uh, therefore, sorry, asking the teacher to reflect on what the issues would be with those four that haven't, you know, engaged with, with the instruction stage. Um, and then the skillful questioning of the coach leads the teacher to work out that the highest leverage point, and in some cases, the action step two, um, and then again, as I mentioned earlier, in, in, other, in other cases, it's sometimes necessary to state the action step and, uh, and then talk about why that's, that action step's being set. Um, but I think as long as it's happening weekly, certainly for, for the less experienced teachers, and I'll talk a little bit about you know, how often the coaches meet and all of those sorts of things in, in a minute, I think. But um, you know, the, the, the feedback needs to be timely and it needs to be sustained across the year. So you build up this relationship of, of professional trust between the two of you that actually anything can be said within within that coaching conversation and, and what's said actually stays within those four walls and we always say that actually if a coaching relationship has broken down it's the coach's fault and we will just change the relationship and then we'll talk to the coach and and and, 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 and you know look at why but we always say it's the coach's fault because that places the the trust issues firmly uh, towards the member of staff that actually you know we will change it up if it's not happening and it's not working for you and i like that showing that the, the, the staff's development is that priority in the to make sure they have have the coach that will give them that timely honest truthful feedback but do it in such a supportive manner and you mentioned there can we maybe break down the the rhythm of the week how it looks because you you've mentioned time to practice you've mentioned lesson observation and you've mentioned feedback so how does that look across across a week a, a, a fortnight a, a month in terms of how often they meet and for how long right so um it, our teachers from nqt to their fifth year of teaching experience um they have a weekly cycle uh, of what I'm going to talk about. Um, our teachers that are six years plus in terms of teaching experience, they are seen on a fortnightly or three weekly cycle. Um, that's due to timetabling of where we're at this year. I'm hoping that in the future, it, it's likely to be that everyone meets weekly, um, but the importance was to get the quality of the coaches right, rather than launching something that then, then fails. And we all know that if you launch something too quickly and you, you launch it without the correct expertise, it's unlikely to get the trust from the staff. So that's the sort of the schedule that we have. Within that sort of week, if you're a one to five year teacher, you get a lesson visit, um, which is roughly 15 to 20 minutes, which is chosen by the teacher. So they choose which which lesson that you're, that you're coming into. Uh, and then the only other thing that you have in the week is your coaching conversation, which lasts between 20 and 25 minutes maximum. If it's going more than 25 minutes, um, it probably is because there needed to be a bit more of the mentoring going on rather than the, the coaching, because, you know, you need to get into setting the action step and then allowing sort of 10 to 15 minutes of practice within the coaching conversation. Some coaching conversations last seven or eight minutes. Some may stretch out towards the half an hour mark. In a survey that we did actually a couple of weeks ago for the first half term, actually no, no teachers had said that their coaching session had gone over 30 minutes, which was really pleasing because obviously time is, whilst it's absolutely critical to, to give that time for staff development each week, teachers also need that time for themselves to be able to plan and, and, and prepare and assess and, and everything that they need to do as well. And also they've got families that they need to get back to. So coaching needs to be quick and it needs to be effective. And the idea of having it weekly for the early years, um, you know, the early experienced teachers or two to three weekly for those with more experience is the fact that it happens regularly. So you don't have to have longer sessions. 
Right, so we've kind of unpicked the, the, the housing, housing what's of your instructional, instructional coaching model, sorry. But that's just, you, you mentioned it in research, sorry, sorry, that instructional coaching is just part of your CPD offer. What else, what else do you include? Yes, yeah, so obviously it's our sort of main strand on improving classroom practice, but it's more from a sort of pedagogical point of view rather than subject expertise. And obviously the two come absolutely hand in hand when it comes to delivering, you know, and implementing a quality curriculum. So the other major strand is something which we call uh, SPDS or subject specific planning and development sessions, uh, which is where our department teams get together and they look at I mean, this is normally on a fortnightly basis and they look at what are we teaching in the next two weeks and how do we teach that in the most effective way and share the most effective practice that's within the team. Uh, and if they need to go outside of that team to a wider support network within the same subject, then, then that's an opportunity to do so. And uh, we actually stole that idea very much from Durrington School uh, about three or four years ago, I think it was now. And, and that's been incredibly successful. And obviously, some departments do that better than others. Um, but the departments that do that brilliantly, the, the, the implementation of the curriculum across the classrooms looks incredibly similar. Obviously, each teacher teaches it in their own way, but you see the same curriculum being taught in the most efficient manner, which is which is fantastic. Another aspect of what we do is around professional growth. So each teacher chooses a really narrow um, sort of area of practice which they want to Im improve upon and become more efficient at across the entire year. Um, and that, that model is the sort of the improve, not prove model that Chris Moyes uh, has brought about. So if, if you know Chris, uh, he's, he's done some fantastic work on teacher development in the past, um, certainly a huge amount of work with NQTs and, and has then built that through um, you know, his, his school and Matt White. Um, and it's a fantastic model for, for professional growth. So we, we've got that aspect of CPD as well. We have had in the past, although it's sort of combined with the professional growth model this year, uh, the Heath End Action Research Team, uh, which is again fo focusing on a narrow area of, of classroom practice, looking at research that's out there, looking at then changing practice and reviewing and reflecting and, and looking at whether it worked or not. Um, so we've had that in place. That isn't, again, mandatory. That was for staff that just wanted to be involved uh, within that. So we had about 25 staff do that last year. Last year, um, although it's changed a little bit this year, we have teaching and learning forums. So that's a 15 minute forum every Friday um, on something that's, uh, you know, normally it's like a blog or something that's happened via Twitter or, or something like that. And it's, it's basically getting teachers together. Again, it's not mandatory. It, it's you turn up if you want to turn up apart from NQTs to NQT plus ones that we say, you know, this is something which we would like you to attend. Um, we obviously have an NQT curriculum that um, we expect the NQTs to follow in terms of CPD, which was obviously going to work well with the early careers framework. We also offer every teacher a free research ed ticket for the year um, so they can go to any of the research eds. Um, obviously, this was you know, started about sort of two and a half years ago, before, you know, pre-COVID. Um, but obviously, so much of it now is online and free that it's just now signposting it to people, which is, which is incredible. Uh, we do a blog of the week each week, which goes out to all of our all of our school staff, not just teaching staff, goes to all, all members of the the school team. And we have a teaching and learning website, so um, that obviously focuses on our evidence-informed uh, approach to teaching and learning across the school, which is a policy called Flow Learning, uh, which is put together across the entire uh, multi-academy trust. Um, and so those are sort of like the different strands that, that we've got. Um, so sort of there's a bit of everything. Uh, the, the things that are mandatory are the instructional coaching, the SPDS and the professional growth, all of the other things are, um, you know, completely optional. So we don't force research ed on people. It's if they want to go to a research ed conference. We've had people go to the Festival of Education. We've had people go to, you know, other department, you know, subject specific um, CPD as well. So it's this idea of actually, you know, find find something which really works for you and what you're looking to, you know, either improve in your own teaching or within your department's uh, goals. Uh, and if it fits with, with what we're looking for, then yeah, yes, go for it. 
So such a such a wonderful offer, offer. And I was going to nip downstairs and see if I can convince my good lady to move, move down south to, to join in. So thank you for, for sharing all that, Jack. Um, and thinking about in, in schools wanting to embed instructional coaching like the model you have, what is needed for that model to be successful? Oof, uh, blimey. Um, I think a lot of work, if I'm honest, uh, on culture and ethos and how staff buy into their own professional development. I think that there needs to be a culture that's driven from the very top of the school, from the leaders that it's around professional growth and that staff are put first. It's a fantastic book from John Tomset um, and Simon Utley on you know, putting staff first. That is, you know, just basically talks about you know, a lot of the stuff that we've implemented um, as, as, as you know, they've implemented before us, um, and I think it's moving away from a judgmental approach to to staff development and moving towards actually we're a profession. We need to improve because it's an obligation to do so, not because we're not good enough, but because we can always be better. And actually, we're going to provide you with all of these opportunities to become more effective and to be better in the classroom. Um, and we want you to come on that journey with us. I think the second thing would be making sure that you've got expert teachers that have an explicit understanding of what effective teaching looks like and how students learn. I think knowledge on those two aspects is critical. I think you need to think about the time needed within a timetable to, to visit lessons and, and to coach. And if you can build that into a timetable, it's obviously rather costly and therefore there's budgetary issues that, that need to be looked at extensive coaching training uh, specifically around how you spot the highest leverage point when you go into to a lesson uh, and, as, and certainly when we've done our training you know we looked at a lesson and i think we'd, we'd come up with about 45 different things that that people could have picked out so it's having then the skill set to to look at the highest leverage point we i would say you know having an action steps bank for consistency is critical um, because then it allows people to refer back to a series of action steps that are built around the culture of the school. Practice tasks, again, assigned to each action step for consistency and, and an understanding of what the coaching conversations look like. So they need to be modeled to staff uh, and certainly modeled to the coaches so they can see what quality coaching conversations look like within the instructional coaching model. Cause you'll get some people that say, well, I've done grow coaching before and it's, it's very different. It, it's not the same. Then there's the quality assurance of the coaching process and the coaching conversations. I mean, we're lucky enough that each member of staff has got a Chromebook. So you've got the ability to record uh, the coaching conversations on there, which allows us to QA from, from, from the leadership point of view. And then the last thing is seeking regular feedback from staff. You know, how can we improve the process? You know, what, what's missing from the process for you? You're, you're the guys that, that we're, we're looking to be, you know, make more and more effective, what can we do to improve the process? Right, a lot of, a lot of undertaking. So that brings us to, to the end of our interview section, Jack. We've explored your instructional coaching model in great detail. If, if someone listened to this wanted to know a little bit more about it or wanted to pick your brain some further, how could they, how could they contact you and, and can they interact with you on social media? Absolutely, yeah. So probably the best way to get hold of me is, is through Twitter. Um, so my handle is at jogmarsh um, or the, the research ed, sorry, um, handle, which obviously uh, we have a team that organise research ed, sorry, but uh, I organise the, the, the Twitter, the feed of that. So that would be a way of getting into, uh, in touch, more than happy to, to not only discuss via DM and things like that, but we've also talked to, to people via Zoom and, and things like that. We, you know, it, it's not possible perhaps for people to come and visit and see these coaching conversations and, and all of the sort of thing which you would normally have in place. But uh, yeah, certainly if you are interested, there are lots of um, you know, schools that have gone down this way. So I know the Ambition Institute are doing a pilot project with lots of, lots of schools working with instructional coaching. Um, I know that there was a presentation from the Ted Rag Trust down in the southwest um, on the We Are in Beta um, platform, which was looking at instructional coaching. So there's there's stuff out there to 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 get people into it if if they're if they're thinking of it. I think another one, quite simply, would be to 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 get hold of Paul Bambrick Santoyo's book, Get Better Faster, because I think if you can understand the action steps model to you know teach development and teacher improvement that would be a, a great starting point i would say um, and then the, the you know 
secondary to that, I would say that from the, you know, the EEF's guide to putting evidence into practice, I would suggest making sure that people have got very strong implementation plans in place um, that would allow anything that is implemented to, to have longevity and sustainability to it. And there are three sort of critical aspects to, to those implementation plans. And one of them is, you know, is what you're trying to implement, has it got fidelity? Has the intervention actually been adopted in line with the intended principles or, or have there been lethal mutations that have started to spread around the, the school? Is there a clear understanding of the what, the why and the how? Um, obviously the next part of, of the implementation plan is looking at reach. Has the in intervention actually reached all teachers? Um, are they seeing the same benefits? And if, if not, how do, how do we tackle that? And then the last one is acceptability. Has the intervention actually been, been accepted by everyone? So when we look at launching something across the school, I think that, that that's critical, uh, making sure that, that, that those three areas have been hit. Certainly, and, and thanks so much for, for explaining that. And, and I'd encourage anyone that really is interested to, to get in touch and, and pick your brains. I've thoroughly enjoyed this, this conversation and we've still got a little bit more to go. So we're now uh, on to what I call my final three. Jack, and these are the questions that I ask, ask every guest, and, and I love listening to, to the responses to them and the, and the differences in what people give me. So the first one there is, what book or text has had the biggest impact on your teaching career? Blimey, um, that's such a big question. <laughs> I would say that there's probably three or four books that have been instrumental um, in certainly changing my view of perhaps best bets in education uh, and, and evidence-informed practice. Um, I would say probably the first one that I interacted with was Making Every Lesson Count, which was the book by Sean Allison and Andy Farby, which has now got all the subject-specific elements of that that have been written. So I would say that certainly that book and, you know, talking about effective teaching and breaking it down into those sort of different strands of challenge and explanation and modeling and scaffolding and feedback and you know talking about deliberate practice you know that i would say was probably the book that changed my teaching career which sort of probably moved me from being the you know the the facilitator on the side of the classroom to actually saying no I've actually got a really strong knowledge of geography and I quite like to impart this on on my students rather than than them trying to come up with the the answers with with very little guidance so I would say making every lesson count was probably the one but I would probably also within within that group I would say teach like a champion um is is an awesome book uh because it, it gives a common language to different techniques that you can use so when we talk about effective teaching habits we can talk about cold call we can talk about um you know wait time we can talk about star behavior we can talk about all of these uh different strategies and it just allows for common language so i'd say teach like a champions up there and then the other two that i put in there but they certainly wouldn't be the ones that i would pick ahead of making every lesson count would be get better faster and leverage leadership by paul van brick santoya Brilliant. thank you and, and these books are, are coming up time and time again on the, on the podcast interviews which shows just how how pivotal they are and and in education and my second question to Jack is if you could give just one bit of advice to a teacher what would that be again I'm gonna I'm gonna annoy you Darren with this because I'd say I give two pieces of advice um, so the first one that I say is you know go and watch teachers that have the most effective routines uh, and I specifically focus on routines and I say to say to teachers, steal them, make them your own, teach them to the students and practice them with your students until they don't get those routines wrong, not just to the first time that they actually get it right. And when I'm talking about routines, I'm talking about how the students enter the classroom. What do the first 10 minutes of a lesson look like? Have you got a method to get whole class attention? How do students do paired discussions? You know, have they been taught how to do a paired discussion? How do students do group work? Um, what does independent work look like? You know, what's the routine around independent work within your classroom? How do students pack away? Uh, how do they exit the classroom? All of these, you know, really small, minutiae of a lesson that come together to, to basically decide whether a lesson is effective or not. So my first bit of advice is, is very much, um, you know, go and go and uh, see other teachers um, and, and look at their, their ability uh, to 
teach routines and then stick to those routines so that they become habitual. And then the the second bit of advice, realistic, really, really for me, is around uh, get yourself on Twitter. Um, you know, get collaborating with people. I mean, there is some amazing people on Twitter. Um, if you get past some of the noise that's out there and actually get down into the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, trying to improve the lives of the students that we have within our schools, you know, the the sharing and the ability to communicate with each other. And you can see the grassroots events that have come out really through, through Twitter. Um, you know, I'd say if you're not on Twitter, get yourself on Twitter and, and, and put yourself out there. You won't, you won't be disappointed. You may need to set a time limit of how often you can use it for and, and make sure that uh, if you want to keep uh, your marriage, that the phone goes away at certain times. But uh, yeah, it's a fantastic resource. Certainly. Thank you so much. Two wonderful, wonderful bits of advice. And I would echo, echo both of them. Certainly, and, and I think I'm often quite guilty of spending far too long on Twitter myself. And my final question to you is, what do you think most gets in the way of just great teaching in our classrooms? I think for me, um, I'm very lucky I get to see an awful lot of teaching um, in, in my role. I would be honest, it's inconsistency uh, within schools, um, inconsistency around routines, and people having a difference between knowing it and being able to do it so you'll get staff saying yeah but i do that routine but yeah you're not doing it as effectively as everyone else is within within the school and therefore schools are only as strong as their weakest links um and therefore what normally gets in the way of great teaching is a lack of modeling around what it is that you're expecting um, teachers to do within classrooms uh, we model all the time to students um, but we very rarely model to our staff so I would say that that probably is the thing that that gets in the way of great teaching uh, the most I mean there are lots of things that, that that can come in there but I would say that's probably the number one right thank you such a it's a wonderful way to, way to end it I've, I've learned so much through this interview I've taken so many notes so I, Sorry, at this point, I'd just like to, to say thank you so, so much, Jack, for, for giving up your time this evening to, to share what you do in your school. And, and I'm sure it will be of benefit to, to many, many listeners. So thank you very much, Jack. Well, thank you, Darren. It was a pleasure to be invited by yourself. And it's always great to, to talk teaching and learning. So uh, thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Certainly, you as well. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Educated podcast. Until next time, teach with joy.